Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Internet Marketing. This is Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. I'm Andy White, and I'm joined by... Felice Ailing. And... Kelvin Newman. And it's a questions and answers today, isn't it? Yes, yeah, we've got um, three questions, all from the same chap, um, asking a variety of different questions, covering off a number of different topics, which I think um, will be interesting to the guys listening. Should we get straight into it? Yeah, let's go for it. Felice, feel free to join in, of course. I will do. Um, This is from Mark Johnson... Um, from Anderton's Music Shop. And he had a question about webmaster tools, didn't he? Yeah, so basically the the, the question um, that Mark's getting at there is that over the last couple of years, um, well, probably the last year, realistically, the keyword data that you were previously able to access using Google Analytics, um, which told you which keywords people were searching for and how they came to your website, is increasingly disappearing. And that's disappearing um, and being bundled into this kind of category called um, not provided. And that's because... Um, what Google are doing and, um, you know, some of the other ways in which a search engine is available, like through your iPhone, um, is increasingly using HTTPS, so the secure version of Google. And when that's the case, um, that information that previously was sent to your web analytics no longer comes through. So whereas in the past, you might have learned that someone searched for hairdressers in Brighton and landed on your website. Now you don't know if they search for hairdressers in Brighton or Brighton hairdressers or any of a variety of other terms that you could have got. Now, that's potentially quite tricky because that data was really, really useful in telling you words you were ranking for um, and whether you were actually answering certain questions. So maybe someone landed on you, landing on your website with a particular question, um, and then that search term had a really high bounce rate. You would know that you weren't doing a very good job of answering that question. So that's tricky, but there's not much we can do about that. That's the context of what's happening. And that's... People seem to often notice it most in Google Analytics because it's used most frequently, but it's a problem across all web analytics solutions. So it's not like you can change from Google Analytics to go to um, Adobe's um, Omniture solution and you would get that data back. You wouldn't. You just don't have that data anymore. So you don't have that information about what keywords were sending you traffic. Now, what Google have tried to do um, in order to um, allay people's fears about this is within Google Webmaster Tools, uh, which is a service you can sign up to and verify the ownership of a site that you have um, in the eyes of Google, um, they will then give you information about you. And Webmaster Tools is where you get things like if you've got a penalty, that's where they'll send you a message. If you've got issues with duplication on your site, that's where you'll, they'll let you know. And there's a report available on there that shows you the keywords that 
potentially sending you traffic through to your site. Now, it's not as accurate um, as historically what you would get from um, Google Analytics, but it's certainly improving. When they first rolled out this feature in um, Webmaster Tools a number of years ago, the data was so um, unreliable that it was effectively completely useless, but it's getting more and more effective. Mm. But um, there's still huge gaps between what that tool uh, what Webmaster Tools gives you and what Google Analytics used to give you. Now, there, as um, Mark alluded to in this question, there are a variety of solutions that people are going you know, and using to try and understand the keywords that are sending traffic to their sites. So they're taking the... He talked about having 100% of his keyword um, search engine traffic where the keywords were marked as not provided. Most people, it's somewhere between sort of 60 to 70%, maybe yeah. 80, um, depending on how likely their customers are to be sort of signed into Google. Um, now, what you can do potentially is take the traffic, the small sample size that you've got and extrapolate from that to say, okay, I've got 10% of my keyword. If I know what 10% of people were searching for, I can assume that the same ratios will be in play across 100%. Um, and then there's people who are using ever more sophisticated versions of that. I know that um, Dr. David Sewell, um, who works at Fresh Egg, has implemented a machine learning type system that kind of looks at all kinds of really clever stuff to try and reverse engineer that. Um, other people are just going into that Webmaster Tools and appreciating that the data is not full um, and just trying to use it effectively. And I think... It's a tricky one. Um, it's a tricky problem to solve um, for a search engine marketer or someone responsible for you know performing well in the search engines that you don't have that data you previously had. But actually, in some ways, it's perhaps a kind of blessing in disguise mm. because it allows you to focus on you know customer needs rather than particular queries, if you see what I mean. So actually, the keywords, at the end of the day, so that's someone going to a search engine box and typing something in. Um, and you know actually, what they're trying to do is fulfill a need to a certain extent and actually sometimes knowing all of this great data about the keywords and what the bounce rate was and this keyword got 10 times more traffic than that keyword Mm. um, can be helpful but actually sometimes it's better just to understand your customers Um, and that's a bit of a cop-out answer to that question but I think that's the way that it's got to go is there actually it's like sometimes we've never had more data about how to um, do these things and it's rare for it to be a situation where data is taken away from us because yeah, I remember when this kicked in, it was a little while ago now, yep. wasn't it? And I remember there was a lot of um, gnashing of teeth from the, from the from the online community, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is. A, it's a it's a game changing um, change, for want of a better description. Whereby yeah. historically you'd be looking at those keywords, seeing what was sending you traffic, doing more of that type of thing, um, and learning from that. Whereas now you've kind of got to be a little bit more on intuition. But actually, I think in most cases, um, the way that SEO particularly is headed at the moment is you need to be thinking more about kind of particular people and their patterns and their personas, perhaps more than necessarily the keywords they actually search for. Mark also asks about the bounce rate, uh, repeatedly coming up as a metric that Google takes into account. And his question is, um, what about blogs and sort of news sites that have always been used as examples of where a high bounce rate doesn't sort of necessarily indicate poor quality content. Um, Are we to think that Google is planning to penalise the BBC or BuzzFeed for a high bounce rate? And do you have any suggestions as to what a blogger could do to get that second click in a way that isn't detrimental to the visitor's experience? 
Yes, so um, I think the question there is kind of alluding to the fact that lots of people are talking about that one of the ways in which the search engines, but particularly Google, are able to assess the quality of your website and whether you should deter- whether you should rank is looking at your bounce rate. Now, I think that's a little bit of a, a misnomer there. So bounce rate is where someone comes to your website, views one page, then doesn't view another page. Now, as Mark was saying there, on a number of websites, particularly blogs, but all kinds of different websites, actually, that's not a bad thing. You know, on some websites, bounce rates bounce rate is considered to be, you know, higher is bad. But on other websites, actually low is good because it means that people are doing what it is. If you're a, an affiliate website, but you're trying to point people in other directions, you know, actually them ending up on the other website is good news. Um, so, you know, I think bounce rate is a really good metric to be looking at to understand the quality of a page and to see if it's doing what it is you want them to do. Um, but actually, I don't think Google are looking at bounce rate. Um, and I think it's people often use that um, definition when actually what Google are probably looking at is something slightly different, which is similar, um, but slightly different. So what you're then looking at is, uh, Mark talked about websites like BuzzFeed or other sites where they, you're sending them off in other directions to other websites that aren't yours, which would technically be considered a bounce because they've only viewed one page of your site. I think what Google are more worried about is kind of return to search, right? So whereas you make a search query, um, you go to a website and you click the back button and then make another search. Because in Google's eyes, that's them having failed to do their job. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's, you know, technically on your web analytics, that would look as a bounce. bounce. But what Google are looking more is that kind of return to search, but return to search where someone has to make a refining search query, if you see what I mean, because Google's job is to help people find that as well as possible. And in terms of how, I don't know, Felicia, there's particular ideas about things people could be doing to their website to try and get people to answer their question more effectively or maybe delve a little bit deeper into the site. Is there anything particularly that you've seen that people can do that can work well in that sort of space? I think in most cases, actually, it's more an issue of presentation of content that's often sometimes an issue, I think, in terms of what people can have a a website that does everything that the search engines are looking for, but perhaps doesn't necessarily do what the user's looking for. Yeah, and I think often it's about where it's appearing on the page. Um, You know, I mean, we all know when we think about our own search habits Mm. um, in terms of the, you know, the description that comes up in the search result yeah. has the key, the, the phrase in that you're looking for, mm. and then you go to the page and it's actually not on there. Mm. And so straight away you bounce off again. So it's somewhere else on the site, mm. but it's not where it should be, mm. uh, where the user's coming in. And I think coming back to that, I think the, the question about, um, you know, encouraging users to, uh, to the second, the second mm. click. Mm. Um, I think again, if, as soon as you start thinking about what's going to look good for Google, mm that's when you start to lose, yeah. you know, lose the game really. It's a mindset, isn't it? It is a mindset. I mean, you have to you have to understand how Google works. You have to understand how to make your content visible mm. so Google can find it if it's there. But like you said, if mm. you've got your customers in mind and that, you know, the content you're providing does meet that particular need mm. because you understand your customers, you understand what they're looking for, then you can present them with, a second click that is relevant Mm. Um, again because you understand what they might be looking for next Um, so I think just encouraging people to click through your website you know often you know when we look at that you know I've seen other people take the opposite approach Mm. and you know talk about oh you know it's brilliant we've got sort of five six page Mm. you know page views per visit you know that's Mm. really great and it turns out that actually a customer's clicking around because they can't find anything they can't find what they're looking for so they might visit seven or eight pages because Great. What, yeah, and we, yeah. So I think just looking at the whenever you look at the data on its own, 
um, without the context and without the understanding of of your customers and what they're likely to do, mm. um, you know, you just get caught up in, yeah, in so bounce rates and click throughs mm. and yeah. So it's less how can I encourage the next click. It's like how can I actually do what my website visitors want, help them do yeah. what they want to do. Yeah, how can I get them excited about you mm. know visiting another piece of content because the the bit they've come into is so helpful. Mm. Should we move on to the third part of the question? Let's go for it. Yeah, <clears throat> clear my throat. Now, whilst I 100% agree that having a Google Plus presence is necessary, I'm a little worried, by the way, that it's represented as somewhere where engagement is growing. Is this not self-fulfilling? It's pretty clear that 90% of the people active on Google Plus are marketing professionals. So when a marketing-based B2B um, gets up in front of a room full of marketers and say, we've been increasing engagement... That's because their market, brackets, marketers, brackets, are the platform, brackets, because they've been told to be there by those same marketing professionals, brackets. Whereas the reality is uh, there are so few actual com- uh, consumers that aren't in the marketing profession on Google+, Plus that those of us in B2C are just spending time in a ghost town pushing out endless content to no one at all. Um, there's a joke. I've heard a joke about that somewhere. I can't remember what it is now. Um, I don't know if that's a question so much as a whinge, but interested to hear your thoughts. Certainly food for thought there. Yeah, I mean, I think there certainly is the, the in any social network, um, you get particular groups of, of, you know, clusters or communities which kind of frequent so certain social networks more frequently um, than others and it does appear that particularly if you're um you know trying to speak to marketers that perhaps there is a bit of a as yeah as alluded to there a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy there but also i do think it's a case that actually if you are a digital marketer then your community on a social network will probably more likely contain um, digital marketers than someone who isn't mm. um, and then someone who isn't a digital marketer who is I don't know a you know um, I, I know mummy blogs do you know the mummy blogger community um, there's some really big communities on Google Plus people who are of that community using Google Plus as a as a means to kind of network with other, other people who share similar interests so I think it's a little bit of a kind of a filter bubble you know if you fit that filter mm. then inevitably your people who you connect with are going to be similar to you as a consequence. So I think that's true there. But I do think that it's, it's easy to overstate this Google Google Plus is a ghost town perspective, um, whereby if you think about the reason that Google Plus exists, it exists to tie together a number of disparate platforms that Google had, mm. right? So even if it was did nothing else other than bring together all of your, your Gmail account, your Google local account, um, and your... Um, you know, you're a little bit of your authorship and your YouTube comments thing. Just bringing them together would be incredibly useful for Google anyway, just so mm. actually they had a shared idea of who these people are across those different platforms. So it's useful for them from that perspective. So if you then look at, okay, well, what's the other reason they're doing it? Well, it's a defensive play against the fact that, okay, the other social networks have more data and more insight in terms of what content is good and what content isn't good because they know how many people are sharing it on Facebook or know how many people are tweeting it on Twitter. And Google can't use that in their algorithms because it's not their data. Um, And Google Plus potentially being a means for them to gain access to that data. And if that is the case, then I don't think even Google Plus being, you know, a tenth of the size of uh, Facebook is a problem, right? Because it's still incredibly statistically significant, right? It's millions of people are using this every day and mm. sharing content on it. So it's helpful. It doesn't have to have everybody on it for it to be a useful means of gaining that insight. Um, 
so I think from that perspective, it's useful. It's working for Google regardless of whether it is as big as Facebook. It doesn't need to be as big as Facebook. Um, for marketers who are specifically trying to reach specific audiences there, I think it is that question of are they there? And if they're not, don't worry about it. But people just take scale as the only reason to make that decision. You know, it could well be that actually, you know, a, a client we had in the past um, who I worked on was kind of a financial services client specifically tailored to young mums. Mm. And we were having discussions with them about Facebook and that type of thing. Um, and you kind of go, oh, well, is it, is it worth the time to be spending time on Facebook? But then completely ignoring the fact that there's two huge, great big forums in the UK, Mumsnet and Netsmum, which exclusively only have people who are their customers. And they're less kind of going, well, I need a, um, a Mumsnet strategy, but they would happily say they need a Facebook strategy. <laughs> so you've got that there anyway. So you're always making these decisions, are my audience there? Um, if they're not, then prioritise on those that are. But I think what's interesting about Google is is that it, Google Plus is that they are going to be using that data and that perhaps gives it a little bit more of a boost than than otherwise. But if the if your customers aren't there, don't spend the time on it. You know, it's you know, just a simple decision to make, I think. Felice, have you got any um, theories on ghost towns and Google Plus? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been hearing this, haven't we, for the last year, 18 months. Mm. Google Plus is dead. It's on its way out. You know, nobody knows how to use it. Um, and then it seems to come back um, with something. So I think... I think a lot of companies are struggling to know how to use it, you know, what mm. it's useful for, um, whether the customers are online. I think it's, you know, I think it's right. There's probably, a, you know, the vast majority is just people like me talking to people like me um, about Google Plus and how useful mm. it is. Um, but we we do know that it can have an influence in terms of personalised search. So, you know, if your customers are linked to you on Google Plus, um, even if they're not yet a customer, but they are linking to you or they've shared a piece of your content or, you know, they reshare content with somebody else that's linked to you, you know, that there's a chance that can improve your search rankings when they're signed in. So I think there is, you know, there's definitely pros and cons but again, I think, you know, if you're looking at a social network in terms of um, whether you should be on it, the first question is always going to be, are your customers there? Mm, yeah. um, you know, again, we, you know, a lot of companies will set up a Facebook account, a Facebook page and a Twitter page because everyone's on Facebook and you find actually the vast majority of customers or potential customers aren't. That's not where they are. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's great. I think if you've got all the money in the world and all the time in the world, you can, you know, have a profile everywhere um but it's you know it's a lot of work to maintain it and to build mm. that level of engagement that you need to make it worthwhile um so i think we've we've yet to see we've yet to see what google plus is actually going to achieve mm. i think it's it's still very still very early days i mm. think one thing i will say that i think is worth bearing in mind though as well is that if you kind of go okay well how many of my competitors are on twitter how many of my competitors are on Facebook? Mm. And you then ask the question, how many of them are on Google Plus? There's probably fewer, right? And that's probably because there's fewer customers, agreed. But actually, that you can see that as an opportunity, right? I think it's the, you know, whereas if you're fighting on, um, you know, I'd rather be the biggest and the best on a, social, a smaller social network mm. than the 18th best company that does what I do on Facebook or mm. the 500th best company that does what I do on Twitter. So actually kind of going, well, could the time if a company takes 
the time that they would spend on their other social networks, apply that on Google+, they might well find that actually they're able to completely dominate that platform. And it might be a smaller group of people agreed. But actually, sometimes I think it's best to be the biggest fish in a small pond, to you, to, you know, to use that analogy, than kind of the 75th biggest fish in a, yeah. in a bigger pond, if you see what I mean. It's, it's kind of, it's easy to stand out there. And sometimes if, you know, if you're working in-house or you're working for an agency, what you want to do is make an impact. And actually, um, sometimes it's easy to make that impact where there's less competition, even if the total reward is perhaps slightly less. So consider taking some of that time. That you you know, it, it's, it's worth considering, I think. Well, I think we'll leave it there for this episode. Thank you very, very much for listening. And you can find us at www.sitevisibility.com slash podcast. That's where you can find the podcast. Please ask us more questions. The email address is podcast at sitevisibility.com and the telephone number if you want to leave a voice message, which we can play on the show, um, plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. And as always, please leave us a review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. So it's goodbye from me, Andy White. It's goodbye from Felice. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Kelvin. Toodle pip. Until next time on Internet Marketing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 